Hey everyone, welcome to the Promise Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to like us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at My Promise Church. And to see what else is going on around here at Promise, please visit us at mypromisechurch.com. We hope this message you're about to listen to ministers to you and changes your life. Enjoy. Up one more time. We got to do some calisthenics. I know it's hot. I got to read the verse though. Stand with me if you're able to. Let's honor the word today. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. I know uh, it was a little different speed there with the offering. If you're able to, stand with me. I want to just read this two verses here. It says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to. We've been talking about this month, stand out. I use the verse in the very beginning that God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I want to continue today on this idea of standing. It says, when you have the full armor of God, when the evil comes against you, you can stand your ground. And after you've done everything, you just stand. And then it says again in the next verse, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, I preached on that whole passage, the armor of God, in a message series two summers ago called, uh, This is How I Fight My Battles. I don't know if any of y'all were here when I did that, but I would love to preach that message series again, just like wipe your memory of that. And you guys, you know, because I, I love this passage. Um, but stand, stand, stand. Turn to somebody, say stand. And the saying is, the, the old saying goes, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And so that's why the scripture is saying, you, you got it, there's somewhere. And this is what I want to tell the church today. And I've, got, I've had this message in my heart for years, and I felt a release to preach it today. So this might not be my normal speed, but I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach hard today to a full house. But here's what I want to say. At some point, you have to make a stand. Okay, this is the battle line. Like, I'm not retreating anymore. I'm standing right here. And this is what I want to tell the church today. You have to stand for something. And you have to stand against something. And so I want to tell the church today, it's time to stand out. Turn to somebody, say, stand out. Stand out, stand out, stand out. Help me preach today, church. Help me preach today. And I'll uh, release us. And go. You can be seated. God bless you. And uh, we can uh, get out to the cookout. I think there's a cookout. Is that what's happening? Is that what it is? Somebody, somebody was like, I didn't know that. And now you got me thinking about hot dogs and hamburgers and... I just shouldn't go there, right? What time is it? It's only 11. It's still brunch time. But I'll get us out on time to eat hot dogs and hamburgers. How many say amen? Okay, all right. So uh, I want to just set that table one more time today about standing out. Peter, he was, he, he was writing to the church and he was saying, you guys were made for more. Like, like, like you ought to stand out. You ought to know you're a child of God. You ought to know that you're not just like anybody and everybody in this world. And that's when he, he made that great statement moved by the Holy Spirit. He said, you've been called out of darkness and into marvelous light. And I want to tell the church today, you've been called out of darkness and into marvelous light. 
But what's interesting, and I've started this every sermon this, this month this way, but fitting in is, so just allow me to set the table for anybody that hasn't been with us on vacation or whatever it is. Fitting in is what most people want to do. When you are in school and maybe you walk into a new school or maybe you're, even today you go into a new place of employment, it's kind of like you just want to fit in. You know, what everybody else is wearing, that's what I want to wear. What everybody else is doing, that's what I want to do. What everybody else is saying, that's what I want to say. And, and oddly enough, most people, they just want to fit in. Even on a subconscious level, people, they don't want to stand out. They just want to fit in. And a lot of people think, you know, as long as everybody else is in the same situation as me, then it can't be that bad. And I think the problem is, is that the church begins to judge ourselves by the standard of the world instead of judging ourselves by the standard of God. God does not want me to live down here. He's called me up. He doesn't want me to live in darkness. He's called me into light. And so I'm not going to judge my life, my family, my marriage, my situation by the average Joes in my neighborhood because God has put his favor on me, his blessing on me. He's given me the power of his spirit. He's given me the promise of his word. And so that's why I'm not, I'm not trying to just be like everybody else. And so I've had people, you know, they'll come in, Pastor, you know, everybody's marriage is in shambles. I can't be any different than that. It's like, no, no, God wants to bless your home. It's like, well, everybody's kids get wayward and do all this. It's like, yes, I understand that kids are going to make mistakes. We're going to love them through all those things. But we ought to stand up and draw the battle line and say, my kids are going to serve God. There's a hedge of protection around them. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we stand on his word. We stand on his promise. So I'm not judging myself by everybody at work or everybody in the neighborhood, but I I'm judging myself on God's word. How many say amen to that? All right. So we ought to say, no, no, no. God's called me to be different. I'm not trying to fit into this world. God's called me out. And I just hope this question gets into your spirit because I've been saying it every week. But what if I told you that fitting in is not as safe as it feels? Sometimes people think if I'm just back here in the shadow, I'm safe. I'm fine. But what if I told you that's a trap? What if I told you that, that, that if the normal was so good, why is it not working for so many people? Why are so many people discouraged and depressed and confused and lost and addicted and hurting? If the normal is so good, then why isn't it working? I got to tell you, God has a better plan for your life. And it's to be called out of those things into what God has for you. How many said Amen. All right, I'll keep going. Now, uh, this weekend, we celebrate the birth of our country, the United States of America. I know our country's not perfect, but I love our country. I love what God has done here, the freedom, specifically the freedom of religion that we enjoy in this country has exported the gospel to countries around the world. I still believe God's hand is on us. I still believe God's blessing is on us. And I still love this country. Specifically, though, today, or, or this is July, July 2nd, but July 4th weekend, marks the day uh, when the fathers of our country, they took a stand. They made a declaration, and it was the Declaration of Independence. The declaration says we're standing on our own two feet independently 
of the mother country, England. And we put it in writing that we are standing for the USA and we're standing against the tyranny of Britain. And if you take time to read it, you'll find that it's an amazing document. They outlined why they wanted to be free. They outlined what they believed in. They, they outlined what they envisioned, what they hoped that our country could become. Since then, it's become a very well-known document, a statement even on human rights, particularly its second sentence where it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that these, then among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many say amen to that? And that declaration was made to guarantee equal rights for everybody. That was what they envisioned. That's what they hoped for, for our nation. Abraham Lincoln made it the centerpiece of his policies and his rhetoric when he ran for uh, the presidency. And in the famous Gettysburg Address of 1863, he quoted that passage. And that passage came to represent a moral standard around the world today and which the United States strives for. So here's what I want to say. They were making a stand for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But you may or may not know this. The document does not end with just what they stood for. The document had 27 grievances for things they stood against. The Declaration justified their independence of the United States by listing 27 colonial grievances against King George III. Now, I won't read all 27 of them. I'll let you read that on your own time at the barbecue this weekend. But grievance number one, he has, a, he has refused the assent of law the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. Grievance two, he has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance. Grievance three, he's refused to pass laws for the accommodation of districts unless the people relinquish the right of representation, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. Grievance four, he's called together legislative bodies at places unusual, also uncomfortable and distant for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. Grievance five, he has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing him with firmness, his invasions on the rights of the people. It goes on to list 27 grievances, all detailed in the Declaration of Independence. Grievance 6, election interference. Grievance 7, weakening the population and restricting migration. Grievance 8 and 9, undermining judges and interfering with courts. Grievances 10, 11, and 12 were about military overreaching powers. It goes on and on about mock trials, excessive taxes, suspending legislature, plundering our natural resources for their gain, foreign mercenaries undermining and attacking us. You can read it in your own time. But those were the things they took a stand against. And so 13 colonies came together and to ratify it, and 56 men signed their name to it. And the declaration was saying, we stand for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But we stand against tyranny, injustice. We stand against the overreach of the government. 
government that does not for us and they don't represent us. And I want to tell the church of the living God today, there are things we stand for and there's things we stand against. If I stand for grace and mercy and truth, then I'm standing against the lies of the world today. If I stand for heaven and heaven's will to come to earth, I stand against the gates of hell. If I stand for righteousness, I stand against unrighteousness. If I stand for truth, I stand against lies. If I stand for the will of heaven, I stand against the will of hell. I stand for things and against things. I wonder if anybody received that in the house today. So if I'm going to stand out, and if I'm going to stand up, I've got to draw a line somewhere and say, I'm for this, but I'm against that. General Booth, he, he founded the Salvation Army, and he said that he feared the day when the church would have salvation, Pastor Lily, without regeneration. Meaning they weren't born again. They, they just stamped, yo, you're saved. But there was really no regeneration. It's a theology word for born again. Uh, he said, I fear the day there'll be faith without repentance. He said, I fear the day we'll preach heaven and not hell. But the same book that tells us there's a heaven tells us there's a hell. I would say it's impossible to stand for some things without standing against some other things. I can't stand for everything because standing for something requires me to stand against something else. Let me break it down. If you love flowers, you have to hate weeds. Right? Like if you're pro-garden, you have to be anti-weeds and pestilences. So, so the same love that causes you to plant a flower causes you to pluck up a weed. I, I can't be pro-flower and pro-weeds. I've got to love one and hate the other. I've got to give life to one and kill the other. It just You can't have it any other way. It, because eventually those weeds will run over your garden. People have told me Christians just have to love everything. But you can't love everything. If you love gardens, the love of the garden will make you hate the weed. The founders could not stand for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness without standing against tyranny, injustice, and corruption. They can't say we love life, liberty, and happiness, and we also love tyranny, injustice, and corruption. No, no, no. If you love this, you hate that. And so I, I can't stand for health without hating disease. I can't stand for, for wellness and blessing and provision without standing against poverty. And the same book that tells us about Jesus tells us there's an enemy of our soul. The same book that tells us there's a heaven tells us there's a hell. And there's no high without a low. And there's no hot without cold. That's why Jesus rebuked the church in Revelation and said, I wish you were hot or cold. Stand for something. Like if you're going to stand for hell, at least, at least do it. 
Like, don't be in the middle. Like, like don't be lukewarm. Don't be wishy-washy. He said, be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm because you can't stand in the middle. You can't serve light and darkness. At some point, you got to say, I'm on the Lord's side or I'm against the Lord. But you've got to make up your mind. That's why Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve. If you're going to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. If that seems evil to you, then don't do it. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. How many said amen to that? So, so Matthew 6, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. It's in verse 22. He said the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Meaning things enter your soul through the gateway of your eyes and your ears. And, and, and so if you let light in, you let worship music in your ears, you, you let... The, you read the word of God, you let light in. He says your whole body will be full of that light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if you're putting unhealthy things into your eyes, you're putting unhealthy things into your ears, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's saying, Jesus is saying, you have to choose light or dark. You, you know, he said, what, in another place, he said, what fellowship does light have with darkness? This is where he says it in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be loyal to one and despise the other, but you cannot serve God and mammon. And if you don't know what mammon is, it was the God of money. He was saying, you can't serve God and money, possessions, and pleasure. You just can't serve light and darkness. You can't serve heaven and hell. You can't live for heaven and for this world at the same time. At some point, your loyalty will run after one or the other. Nobody can serve two masters. And so this is a key understanding is that standing for something actually requires you to stand against something else. The founders of our country, they loved freedom, liberty, and justice for all. And as much as they loved those things, was a driver to hate, tyranny, and injustice. And as much as a parent loves their child, if you love your child at a level 10, you're, uh, that, that mother loves her child at a level 10, then the same level that she loves her child, she's going to hate anything that endangers it. She's going to fight anything that endangers it because it's her love for the child that makes her hate the abuse of children, that makes her hate the endangerment of children, that makes her hate the harm of children or a disease in its body, God forbid. Jesus was the same way. Matthew 18, 19, this passage might surprise somebody. Jesus is teaching children are running around. I imagine the nursery worker called off that day. I don't know what happened. But Jesus is teaching, and, and the disciples are trying to run these kids off, shoo them away. No, don't bother Jesus. And Jesus sees what happened. He says, no, 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 no. Let, he's been teaching a couple chapters now, and he goes, no, 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 no. Let, let them come to me. The children come to him. And he says, he actually says, in fact, uh, he says, a childlike faith is needed by all of us. Let the children come unto me. And in that same teaching, Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 6, he said, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. 
He loved children so much. So people say, well, Jesus, he just he wore sandals, he had long hair, it was like peace, love, everything. But his love for children required him to hate and have vengeance upon the abuse of a child. So he said it would be better for him if somebody offends or abuses a child. It would be better for them if a millstone was hung around their neck and they were drowned in the depths of the sea on judgment day. It would be better if they did that, if they don't repent and find grace and mercy for that. So, so here's what I'm trying to say. It's his love for children that made him rebuke the injustice and the abuse of a child and speak that strongly about somebody that would ever hurt a child. And I want to tell the parents, I want to tell the grandparents, I want to tell the church today, if we love our children and if we love the next generation, we have to stand against the lies that are being told to our children. We have to stand against the lies that are confusing our children, the things that are messing with their minds, that are lying to them, offending them, exposing them, and abusing them. We have to say, no, it stops here. This is God's plan for you. This is God's way for your life. And this is a battle I'm worth fighting. How many said amen to that? Jesus said, I'm not just going to let somebody offend a child. The more a farmer loves his farm, the more he hates the pestilences. The more a judge loves justice, the more he hates injustice. The more a doctor loves his patients, the more he hates disease, illness, and injury. 1 John 2.15 tells us, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love the world and the Father. You just can't. He says, for all that's in the world, it's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. It's the pride of life. And it's not of the Father, it's of the world. So you can't love those things and the Father at the same time. Then John reminds us the world is passing away. It's not forever. Heaven's eternal, but this world is not. He says in the lust of it, but he that does the will of the Father will abide forever. So the same way that a farmer loves his farm, we should love God. We should love the things of God. We should love the word of God. And it said if you love all the things in this world, then there's something wrong. You actually don't love God. But if you love God, you won't love the world. And I want to tell you, the more we love God, the more we love his word. The more we love truth, then the more we love the church, the more we love our kids, then the more we hate the things that are going on in this world. The more that I love the church, the more that I hate the gates of hell that are trying to prevail against it. The more that I love our church, the more that I love God's people, the more that I love the next generation, the more that I hate what this world is up to, to destroy them, to lie to them, to steal from them. And I just want to tell the church, the more we love truth, the more we have to hate lies. The more we stand for heaven, the more we have to stand against hell. The more we stand for the church, the more we have to push against the gates of hell. The more we stand for light, the more we have to stand against darkness. 
And if we stand for marriage and families and children, then we have to stand against everything that would break them up. If we stand for light, we have to stand against darkness. If we stand for those things, we have to stand against everything that would destroy them, lie to them, confuse them, or blind them. If we stand for righteousness, we have to stand against unrighteousness. If we stand for the word of God, we have to stand for everything that comes against it. I want to just, I don't know how long I preach, but I don't have much left. But not yet for the band. I want to tell you, we have to know what we stand for. You have to know where your battle line is. And, and, And the Holy Spirit will convict you. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. And if if you don't have any convictions, I I just wonder if you have any Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost will bring conviction. And I have to know where I stand. This is my battle line. And the enemy's not coming any further. I cannot, nor do I intend to give an exhaustive list today of what we stand for and what we stand against. But I'll just say a few things. We stand for the love of God. Understand today, God is love. God is love. There's no way around it. There's no other way to put it. He loved us so much, he gave his life for us. He loved us so much, he left the throne room of heaven to be born into the poverty of a stable. His love is unconditional. His love is immeasurable. I can in no way define God's love. You can't comprehend God's love. He told us to love our enemies. He said, if somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. That's why we can say today that we love the sinner even while we hate the sin. Because we were all sinners saved by grace. I just want to remind the church, such as were some of you. Because we're all sinners that at some point, at some time, in some place came into contact with a loving father with open arms that said, come on home, son. Here's a ring. Here's shoes on your feet. Here's grace. Here's mercy. Here's a new start. Here's a new beginning. And I just want to say there's nobody here today that God doesn't love. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've said. I don't care where you've been. There is nobody in the house today that God is not reaching for, that he's not calling for. And if you'll let him, he will pick you up right where you're at. He will save you, renew you, remake you in just a moment. He can restore you and make all things new. I wonder if the church still believes that today. I'll say we stand for the grace and the mercy of God. The only difference between a saint and a sinner, the Bible said the righteous man fell seven times, but he got back up an eighth time. Peter asked the Lord, he said, how many times do I got to forgive this guy? Seven times? Lord said, no, 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 70 times seven, then come back to me. Same offense, bring, bring it back. I don't know about you, but I've gone to the Lord more than seven times. I don't know, I don't want to count 70 times, I don't know, but there's been times in my life where I've gone to the Lord and I said, I failed again, I fell again, 
I mixed up again. I got messed up again. Could you just give me a little more grace? Could I get another helping of mercy? Could I get a new beginning? Could I get a fresh start? Could I get your love, your mercy, your grace on my life one more time? I don't know about you, but how many are thankful that his mercy is new every morning? When the sun comes up, say, Lord, I need a fresh touch. I need a fresh anointing. I need new mercy. I need new grace. How many said amen? We stand for the word of God. We stand on the word of God. Romans 3 and 4 says, not at all. Let God be true and every man be a liar. That's saying like if everybody on the world, in the world, all 7, 8 billion people are saying this, but God said that, let every man be a liar and let God be true. God's ways are higher than man's ways. So I don't care if man's confused for a little while. I'm going to go with what God said. It's a long time that, the, that the, the science and the people of this world said the world was flat. But if you read Job, it told you it was a sphere. There was a long time that the Egyptians and other people thought that that flat world was on pillars. But if they had read Job which is a really old book in the Bible. If they'd read Job, they would have found that that sphere was hung on nothing. Now we understand. Let man be a liar. Let God be true. This word is a lamp to my path, and it's a lamp to my feet. It is God's covenant with mankind for salvation. It is your roadmap from earth to heaven. It is a source of eternal heavenly wisdom and counsel. It contains the promises of God for me and for you. This book says he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. This book says not one word, not one comma, not one stroke of the pen will pass away until all is fulfilled. This book says Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. This book says Jesus will return at a time appointed that we may be also with him. I'm standing on the word of God today. I'm standing today on the promise of God. I stand on this book. No matter who says anything to the contrary, let man be a liar and let God be true. How many said amen to that? We stand for the miracles of God. I still believe in miracles of God. I still believe God is a healer. I still believe God makes a way out of no way. I still believe God can part the Red Sea. I still believe he's a bridge over troubled water. I still believe that the God who created nature has reserved for, reserved for himself the right to supersede nature and act in the supernatural. I believe that the God who hung the moon and the stars and set the planets in order is able when his children say, God, would you just stop the sun in the middle of the air for just a minute and let me keep fighting this battle. God, stop the sun and let his people continue the battle. And if God did that for them, he can do it for you. Because the same God of yesterday is the same God today and forever. I still believe in the miracles of God.
we also got to know what we stand against. In order to protect the things we stand for, there's things you have to stand against. Again, if we love the garden, we have to hate weeds. If we love the blessing, the favor, the salvation, the sanctification, the holiness and righteousness and blessing that God has given us, we have to stand against sin that would rob it from us. Adam and Eve had a pretty good setup in the garden. It didn't work. They were in like a resort. They'd just go pick food off the, off the tree. They had it made. And God has given us some good things. And we've got to run the snake out of our garden. We've got to run any lies of the hell out of our mind to protect what we've got. And so if Adam and Eve loved the garden and everything good that God gave them, they should have hated and run that snake off. They should have grabbed a shovel and Adam should have grabbed a shovel when Eve came to her with that apple and said, I'm running some things out of our house. I'm running some things out of our lives. I'm running some things out of this garden because I love what God gave us, so I hate anything that's trying to take it from us. Now, some people will say that you just have to love everything and everyone. I'm telling you, it's love for something that makes you stand against something that would take it away. Let me show you that in the Bible today. Psalm 97 and 10. You who love the Lord hate evil. Psalm 101 and 3. I'll set no wicked things before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away and it's not going to cling to me. Psalm 119, 104. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I, I hate... Okay, I got it mixed up there. Uh, Psalm 119, 104, uh, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Psalm 119, 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Psalm 119, 163, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. I I, I hate lies, but I love truth. I hate lies, but I love the word of God. Uh, he, Psalm 139:21. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those that rise up against you? Zechariah 8:17. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath. For all these things are things I hate, says the Lord. Yeah. Proverbs 6:16 6, through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. God says, I hate all those things. Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. He says, I have pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth. I hate those things. I'm convinced that it's his love for us that makes him hate those things. It's his love for, I gave you a garden. I gave you fruit. I gave you protection. I gave you blessing. I gave you favor. I gave you salvation. I gave you all these good things. So I hate anything that would separate you from me. I hate anything that would separate you from all the good things I've given you. That's why I hate all those things. 
And just like a loving father or mother loves their child so much, they would run anything else off. God is saying, I love you so much. I want to run anything else off. I want you to keep all the good things I have for you. And we should have the heart of God. Do we still want to be like Jesus? Do we still want to be like Jesus? Because if, so, if I'm praying like Jesus taught me to pray, uh, on earth, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I really pray that prayer for heaven to come to earth, then I hate everything that hell is doing in the world today. Because I love freedom and blessing, I hate substances that bring addiction. Because I love our children, I hate every lie that's confusing the next generation. Because I love our families, I hate everything that's attacking our families in this day and age. Because I love salvation, I hate everything of sin that would separate you from heaven and God's presence. Because I love God, I hate the things that are happening from hell. Because I love heaven, I hate the agenda of hell. Music can come. I'm, i got to close today. The last thing I want to say is I want to stand on the Lord's side. I, I, I don't care how many is against me. If God is for me, who can be against us? Like, like that's okay. I, I'm with God. There's an enemy. Okay, I'm with God. There's a problem. Okay, I'm with God. There's, there's a battle. Okay, I'm with God. I want to stand on the Lord's side. In Daniel's time, they were in a foreign land. Nobody except that Hebrew remnant was serving the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were in a foreign land called Babylon. It was the most powerful uh, kingdom in that time. And that land had them in bondage. They were living in a land that was hostile to them serving God. They were living in a land that was actually making laws prohibiting them from obeying the scriptures and serving God. The, 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 when we focus at the beginning of the year on a 21-day fast, that's the Daniel fast. It's within this context. The king came and he made a decree and he made Daniel and he told them, you've got to eat what the king eats. You've got to eat at the king's table. Like if you are in this thing, you've got to come to the king's table and eat what the king eats. And Daniel said, look, I'll just take the side salad. I'll just take the vegetables and water because I've got to obey God. And they had dietary laws and about pork and shellfish and all this stuff. And I know we're about to eat hot dogs, but just stay with me. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to eat the meat and the sweets from the king's table. Let me eat vegetables and water. And at the end of this 21 days, let's see if I am still in good shape. And so all that was within the context of they were actually making laws against God's people, serving God's ways, his, his, his word, and, and, and serving the God of their fathers. And so then, then if you turn the page and you go to the third chapter, there's actually a decree made that you had to worship the golden image. And at any time throughout the city, the harps and the lyres and the, 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 the psaltery and the horns and all these things, throughout the city they would almost have like a parade and they would go through and they would play these songs of worship to their Babylonian deities. 
And as that parade came by, they expected everybody, if you were working, if you had a shovel, if you had a hammer, you had to put it down and you had to get down and bow before that Babylonian deity as the, as the came by, they had the graven image and the parade. And no matter what was going on throughout the whole city, when the king said, it's time to worship the Babylonian deities, strike up the band, let's worship the, these golden images. And, and everybody at that moment, they had to get down on their knees and go prostrate, go worship this Babylonian deity. And here's the decree in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 4. The herald loudly proclaimed, nation and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down. You can't stand. You have to fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down Whoever keeps standing, whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Word gets to King Nebuchadnezzar that there are some Jews that have said, we're not bowing, we're going to stand. When everybody else bows, we're standing. Everybody else can bow to the Babylonian gold god, we're not doing it. We're not bowing our knee. We are standing when everybody else is bowing. So everybody else bows, but these men take a stand. They're standing for the God of their fathers, and they're standing against the Babylonian gods and the captivity that they're in. So the king calls them into his throne room in his chamber, and he says, fellas, is this true? They say, yeah. When you play the harps and the band, and we're not bowing. We're standing. And, and, and they, said, king, they said, King, you know, here's the thing. We're careful to answer you. Like, like we're, 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 we're trying to show you some respect here, but our God is the one true God. And we'll not worship any other gods. He will deliver us from that fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hands. He will deliver us from your judgment. He will deliver us from this decree. But if he doesn't, he's still God. So the Bible says, King Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, turn up that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been before. He throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace because they said, we're taking a stand, not going to bow. And a miraculous miracle took place. The Bible says that as those three men were thrown into the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar is watching. And he turns to his men and he says, didn't we throw three guys in there? They say, yeah, we threw three in there. He said, then why do I see a fourth? And the fourth looks like the Son of God. You take a stand for the things of God. He won't let you stand by yourself. When you take a stand with God's ways, God's word, he's not going to leave you all by yourself. I'm standing with God. I'm standing alongside of God. And I just want to tell the church, if God be with
and called them out of the furnace. And as the three stood before the king, the Bible says in verse 27 that fire had not harmed their bodies. There's no burns on them. The hair on their heads was not singed and their robes were not scorched. Look at that last line. And there was no smell of smoke. There was no smell of fire on them. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar, here's what I want to say. When you take a stand for God, he gets the glory. Praise be to, this is Nebuchadnezzar. This is an unbeliever. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied my command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve any or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Take a stand for the things of God. He will back you up. His name will be great. He's not going to fail you. God has never failed yet and you won't be the first one that he's going to let down. Take a stand for the things of God. Take a stand in this hour for the things of God. boldness to come over God's people today. There's a boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit. I want a boldness in this house that just says, you know what? If God is for me, who can be against me? How many just lift up their hands? This worship team's going to come. I'm going to invite as many as would that would come to this altar. Wherever you're at, just boldly declare today that God is for me. I am standing alongside of Him. I am standing with Him. And if God is for me, can be against me. I wonder if all over this house we just raise faith and worship the Lord together. Come on, just lift up your voice all over the house today. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Share this message with a friend and don't forget to hit subscribe. See you next time.